well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with me on the program today. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, congratulations, first of all, to uh, Representative Andrew Clyde of Georgia uh, and all of the uh, folks who voted in the House of Representatives in favor of uh, H.J. Res 44. That is the resolution that would undo the uh, ATF's new rule on pistol braces. 219 to 210, that was the vote in the House. We uh, talked with Representative Clyde about this not long ago here on Bearing Arms. Uh, and as he said, he had commitments from at least one uh, House Democrat to vote in favor of this. There are actually two House Democrats who voted in favor, two Republicans, however, who voted against the uh, resolution, which now heads over to the Senate side where the prospects are a little bit murkier. Again, you got to get uh, a couple of Democrats to sign on to this. Joe Biden's already said he's going to veto it uh, if it gets to his desk. But even if the bill gets to his desk and it's vetoed, um, this would still be a clear sign from Congress uh, that both chambers believe that the ATF is overstepping its executive branch authority in promulgating this rule, which is actually more like a new law uh, than a uh, law that, by the way, can put you know gun owners in prison for uh, a decade or so as long as as well, as long as they don't register their uh, brace equipped pistols uh, as short barreled rifles under the National Firearms Act. So that is good news. We've got some other interesting news to uh, get to as well. We're going to talk about an emerging split in the circuit courts on a, a Second Amendment issue. But before we get to that, uh, let's talk about what's going on here with the U.S. dollar. I know you guys have definitely noticed that it continues to buy less. Last year, the average IRA and 401k balance fell by more than 20%. If we learned anything from the past few years, it's that anything can and will happen. Here's something that may help, a gold IRA. Gold may be a great option for you. That's right. Physical gold in your IRA. Many central banks are buying tons right now. What does that tell you? Augusta Precious Metals is a gold IRA company that offers its customers the opportunity to invest in gold. You can call Augusta Precious Metals and learn how a gold IRA can help you. If you've saved $100,000 or more for retirement, call Augusta Precious Metals and get their free ultimate guide to gold IRAs. Tell them you heard it here on our show, and they'll give you a free gold coin when you open a gold IRA. Contact Augusta Precious Metals and diversify your retirement today. Call 855-222-4997. Again, 855-222-4997. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 855-222-4997. So we saw this uh, headline yesterday. Another felon loses Second Amendment challenge in the Eighth Circuit. Uh, this is a uh, case involving a gentleman who um, nonviolent, Felony convictions, I believe one was DUI, may have been two DUIs uh, in his past, uh, and then arrested for unlawful possession of a firearm. The uh, Eighth Circuit, again, upholding that conviction, uh, basically declaring that, you know, any uh, there is no limited authority, in essence, uh, that uh, any felony uh, could in, serve as a uh, permanent disqualifier uh between you and your Second Amendment rights forevermore. Uh, now, the reason why I say that there's a split developing here is that the Third Circuit recently had a case. We, uh, I think we talked about it here on Cam and Company. I know we wrote about it at Bearing Arms. Uh, Range versus Garland. Uh, Brian Range was convicted of a misdemeanor crime uh, more than 20 years ago, basically uh, understating his income on a, a food stamp application. This was a misdemeanor offense in Pennsylvania, but it was a misdemeanor offense that was punishable at the time by five years in prison. Reigns did not get that. He got probation, 
But because it was a crime that was eligible for that long of a prison sentence, uh, it served as a disqualifier for Brian Range to forevermore be able to lawfully possess a firearm. Uh, recently, the Third Circuit said that's wrong. Um, now, the Third Circuit opinion did not call into question uh, every felon in possession law, uh, but it said in Mr. Range's case, and specifically for Mr. Range, this lifetime prohibition on a misdemeanor that was punishable by more than a year in jail uh, violated his right to keep and bear arms. And so this is an issue that is percolating and, frankly, getting really close to the Supreme Court here. Uh, the Eighth Circuit case is likely to go on bonk. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but you've got the Third Circuit case. Now you've got the split in the Eighth Circuit. You've also got some semi-related cases uh, dealing with prohibited persons. One of them, uh, Rahimi, that's already gone up to the Supreme Court. Uh, it is due to be discussed in conference, I believe, on June 22nd. So we could see uh, the Supreme Court grant cert in that case, perhaps as early as the end of this month. Uh, one thing is clear, though. There is, I think, growing disagreement among the various uh, district courts and courts of appeals as to who exactly are or is the people who possess the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, according to the Biden administration and gun control activists, the right of the people to keep and bear arms only applies to, quote, law-abiding citizens. Now, some courts have taken issue with that, rightfully pointed out, okay, where's the limiting principle there? If, if the Second Amendment can only be enjoyed by, quote-unquote, law-abiding citizens, does that mean if somebody runs a stop sign, they lose their Second Amendment rights? Somebody jaywalks? Can they no longer own a gun? Again, where is the limit there? And the honest answer for the gun control advocates is that there is no limit. This was uh, on full display on social media uh, on Tuesday. Jake Charles a uh, law professor uh, writing big. Last week, the uh, en banc Third Circuit created a circuit split with the Eighth Circuit by striking down the federal law, barring felons from possessing a gun. And again, that's not quite what the Third Circuit did, but whatever. Today, another Eighth Circuit panel, he writes, doubles down, but a cryptic dissent suggests the panel may not have the last word. And he uh, quotes this um, dissent by a circuit judge uh, on the Eighth Circuit saying, I dissent, more to come. So, yeah, the Eighth Circuit, that's why I say uh, this is likely to go on bonk. Uh, what was fascinating, though, is that then there was this bit of back and forth uh, after uh, Charles uh, tweeted this out. Megan Walsh, who runs a um, uh, basically a, a gun control group at the University of Minnesota Law School, uh, chimed in and said, much more helpful thread than my retweet of what is or might be going on in the Eighth Circuit regarding the 922 G1 felon prohibitor. Uh, it's circuit split with the Third Circuit opinion from last week and a potential en banc review of the Eighth Circuit decision in Jackson. So she acknowledges this split here. And then uh, several folks on the pro 2A side decided to uh, to see what she thought about the Third Circuit opinion. Because, again, gun control activists, both with groups like Everytown uh, and then, you know, let's say the the, the activist academics. Um, and I think you could say Megan Walsh is definitely one of them, have taken a very dim view of virtually every 
court opinion that's come down since Bruin that treats the Second Amendment like the fundamental right that it is. So Rob Romano, who uh, does research for the Farms Policy Coalition and honestly is a I'm not on Twitter all that much. But if you are, Rob is a must follow for every gun owner. Uh, Two way updates on Twitter. Asked Walsh, do you think the Third Circuit was correct to rule that Mr. Rain should get his gun rights back? Costas Moros, who is an attorney with Michelle and Associates out in California, another uh, uh, must follow for uh, gun owners on Twitter, uh, chimed in as well, said, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts, too, Megan Walsh. So far, the anti-gun side has been totally silent on Mr. Range's case, which is obviously because you all know the Third Circuit's ruling was plainly correct, uh, adding that a nonviolent crime like his from decades ago should not be a lifetime prohibition on keeping or bearing arms. And Walsh replied, I think it is constitutional under the Second Amendment for the government to make a policy choice to prohibit felons categorically. If the federal government chose not to prohibit nonviolent felons in similar circumstances as range, I wouldn't put an effort towards repealing that law. But she said, I think the eighth got the law right. Now, some other folks chimed in and, and pointed out Mr. Range wasn't convicted of a felony. He was convicted of a nonviolent misdemeanor that at the time was punishable by five years in prison. Should that be enough to disqualify somebody for the rest of their life from keeping and bearing arms? And I think Megan Walsh would say yes, even though, again, that was she said, well, you know, felonies, nonviolent felonies. I would assume that she is okay with, again, no limiting principle. She certainly, um, not that I've seen, uh, she has not responded to the, uh, a p- person who pointed out that uh, actually Mr. Range was convicted of a misdemeanor, not a felony. But this is where we are now. You know, the left has been dealt uh, some severe blows with Heller, McDonald, and now the Bruin decision. Um, and courts around the country are slowly, and not uniformly, but in some cases, starting to treat the Second Amendment like the first class right that it is as opposed to the second-class right that it was treated as uh, under this uh, you know, two-step tiered scrutiny test in which uh, courts around the country said, well, yeah, I mean, listen, the government has an interest in protecting public safety. Uh, you have a right to keep and bear arms, but the government's interest in public safety trumps uh, your right. And so, you know, gun control law A, a through Z is perfectly fine. Um, Ninth Circuit, for example, has yet to overturn a gun control law in the, what, now 15 years since Heller? Uh, In over 50 cases, the Ninth Circuit has said time and time again, yeah, this is fine. Oh, sure, it might implicate people's Second Amendment rights, but but it's okay to implicate those rights because, again, the government has a public safety interest here. So magazine bans, waiting periods, uh, zoning laws that restrict new gun stores from operating, all of those perfectly fine uh, and, and are allowable, even if, again, Somebody's rights might be trampled on a little bit. Well, they're being trampled on for a good reason. The Bruin decision took that test off the table. Uh, and now, again, you have to, uh, these courts, have to look and see, first of all, whether or not the activity is protected by the Second Amendment, um, which has given some judges an out, right? We've seen this in Oregon, where uh, Judge uh, Karen Immergut originally said about uh, Measure 114's ban on, quote-unquote, large-capacity magazines, that uh, magazines aren't arms 
in the first place. So they're not protected by the Constitution. That's a, an argument, by the way, that the state of Oregon made last week as this case went to trial. Um, but if this activity is protected by the Second Amendment, then the Supreme Court says, all right, now you got to look to see if this current law uh, is historically analogous to uh, longstanding laws that were in place at the time of the founding, uh, perhaps at the uh, time of the ratification of the 14th Amendment. And only, again, if there is an analog, doesn't have to be a perfect match, doesn't have to be a, an identical twin, as the court said, but there does have to be uh, an analogous relationship, right? There has to be a, a reasonable association between that law back in 1791 uh, and that law on the books today, if today's law is going to stand. The problem for gun control advocates, of course, is that most of what they're trying to do doesn't have any historical analog. And so they are overstepping their constitutional bounds, including when it comes to prohibited persons. You know, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, before she was even uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court, uh, was part of a uh, case called Cantor versus Barr. And this, again, dealt with a nonviolent felon. I believe the uh, underlying crime in that case was Medicare or Medicaid fraud. Um, and the uh, panel three-judge panel that uh, Judge Barrett was a part of, Justice Barrett, uh, now now Justice Barrett, then at the time, Judge Barrett, decided that uh, Mr. Cantor um, could not get his rights back. That, uh, again, because he was convicted of a felony offense, uh, it's a longstanding law, governmental interests, yeah, you're, you're still a prohibited person. Uh, Judge Barrett at the time said, no, we're getting this wrong. Because the standard really should be, historically speaking, dangerousness. Not every person who's convicted of a felony is a dangerous individual. Uh, and there might be some misdemeanor cases where you could prove that somebody is, is dangerous. Uh, and maybe that should be the standard, not whether or not somebody violated a felony or violated a law that is punishable by more than a year behind bars. So far... The Supreme Court has not adopted that view, but they have a chance to adopt that viewpoint or something substantially similar uh, in the very near future. And I would say they're going to have to because the Biden administration is really pressing this line of attack here that any violation of any law, no matter how minor, no matter how inadvertent, places you outside of the realm of the law abiding. Uh, and are, you are no longer considered a part of the people for whom the right to keep and bear arms exists. Uh, and again, if the Biden administration is successful in advancing that point of view of the Supreme Court with no limiting principle whatsoever, guess what's going to happen? We're going to see the Democrats start to change the law to, again, <laughs> make it virtually impossible for anybody who might have had a minor traffic infraction to lawfully possess a firearm. They will exploit that decision. We know it's coming. Uh, if, again, the Supreme Court allows the administration to uh, take that viewpoint and run with it. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I will, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what exactly the Supreme Court's going to do here. Uh, I think it is an open question. You know, we've got the... Uh, Statements in Heller and again in Bruin that, uh, you know, nothing in here should uh, cast out on longstanding prohibitions against, uh, you know, felons or the mentally ill. But when you look at the test that the Supreme Court laid out, 
it does call into question some of these prohibitions here. Again, particularly when we're talking about nonviolent offenders, in Mr. Range's case, a nonviolent misdemeanant uh, who forevermore lost their right to keep arms. There is no analogy in history. There are no laws on the books uh, at the time of the founding that uh, stripped people of their right to keep and bear arms for minor nonviolent infractions. And so if the Supreme Court is going to live up to its own test, I think they're going to have to uphold the Third Circuit's decision in Range versus Garland. I think they're going to have to overturn uh, the Eighth Circuit's decision that we've seen recently. And um, again, this could have major implications again for individuals who are perhaps unlawful users of drugs, uh, but are otherwise law-abiding citizens and may even be complying with the laws of the state that they live in, uh, even if they are in violation of the federal prohibition on marijuana, for instance. Uh, this is not going to be a simple thing for the court to, to address. And there's more than one statute at play here. So I, I do expect that uh, if and when the court takes up this issue, we're going to see a narrow decision. I don't think you're going to see a decision that would be so broad or widespread that it would strike down uh, every felony prohibition on gun ownership. I, I don't think the court's going to go there. I think they're going to take this on a case-by-case basis. They're going to uh, issue their rulings as narrowly as they possibly can. Um, but I don't think that the court is going to be able to punt these cases away uh, as they've done the challenges to New York and Illinois. Say, well, listen, it's not really ripe for us to get involved here. These are emergency appeals. The Third Circuit and Eighth Circuit cases are not emergency appeals. They, they are going through the normal course of the appeals process. And by the time they get to the Supreme Court, these cases will be ripe for review, particularly given these splits that are emerging. So I'd love to see the court weigh in on a ban on so-called assault weapons. I'd love to see the court weigh in on these sensitive places. But it looks like the first major Second Amendment decision post-Bruin coming from the Supreme Court may actually deal with who exactly is among the people who possess the right to keep and bear arms. All right, let's turn our attention now uh, to our good deed of the day, our recidivist report, and uh, our armed citizen story. We'll start there. Actually, we're not start there. I, it's a great story, though. I can't wait to get to it. But we're going to start, and this is not a true recidivist report. But I saw the headline, I read this story, and I thought, you know, this is a problem here. Because, again, for the left, the answer is always more gun control, right? It's always more laws on the books. Sometimes you'll hear people on the left say, uh, well, we got to address the root causes, right? We, we, we can't just focus on the gun. And then they turn around and they focus on the gun. So here's this headline from uh, Fox News. Atlanta boy 12 brings gun to pool, but is still allowed to swim. And I thought to myself, okay, there's, there's got to be more to the story here. Not really. According to Fox, the 12-year-old boy brought the gun to the Pittman Park pool where a police officer who had been hired for security purposes uh, observed the image of the gun on the screening table. child handed the gun over to the police without incident, according to Fox 5 Atlanta. Officials say the child was spoken to, but was not taken into custody and was instead allowed to swim. Fox goes on to say Atlanta's uh, deploying sworn officers from the city's police department in Fulton County to the major pools in the city system for the first time in response to the incident, according to Fox 5 Atlanta. Uh, City Councilmember Michael Bond pushed for uh, the dedicated security after reports of crime at Atlanta Parks last year, including a shooting in one of the pools that led to the death of a 17-year-old. So, do I think that this 12-year-old should be locked up for the rest of his life for bringing a gun to the pool? No. 
do I think that something more than speaking to the child should have been done? Yeah, I do. Again, where did this 12-year-old get a hold of a gun? And uh, if he told officers where he got the gun from, is anybody else getting spoken to? Uh, you know, simply saying, hey, you know what? Uh, guns aren't allowed here, 12-year-old kid. Now go on and swim. I, it just seems to be a very unserious response to what the left tells us all the time is a very serious problem. Right? So why wasn't this kid taken into custody, at least temporarily, to check out, if nothing else, to check out his home environment? Uh, listen, I am as pro-Second Amendment as they come. But if a 12-year-old is walking around with an unsecured pistol, something's wrong. There should be some type of investigation here. Maybe the parents aren't to blame. Maybe the parents had no idea that their kid had a gun. Maybe they're not gun owners. Maybe they uh, secure their firearms. Uh, maybe they believe that their child was old enough to uh, be able to access that firearm in case of self-defense. But turns out they ended up bringing the gun with them to the pool. We don't know. I don't know that we'll ever know. Because it sounds like, uh, again, the response from the police was incredibly lackadaisical. Um, we, again, we assume that uh, police still have the uh, gun in custody. Again, he handed it over to the officer. But I'm just struck by this. Time and time again, we hear, oh, we got to have more gun control laws aimed at, you know, gun owners. And yet when something like this happens, I mean, almost said something really bad. Georgia Democrats have been calling for new laws. Georgia Democrats have been complaining that Republicans aren't taking gun violence seriously enough. And yet when something like this happens in the Democratic bastion of Atlanta, what's the response? <sighs> Just a collective yawn on the part of Democratic leadership. Again, don't think the kid should be going to prison for the rest of his life. I'm not even sure that juvenile detention would be the best place for him. But you don't have to go to that extreme to recognize that there's an issue here and to try to get to the bottom of that issue, which uh, now, now when push comes to shove, it seems like the uh, Georgia Democrats and the anti-gunners around the rest of the country are uh, far more interested again in infringing on your rights and my rights in the name of public safety than actually doing something to address public safety issues. All right. Today's armed citizen story. Um, McMinnville, Tennessee. Here's the headline. Woman commended for protecting herself and kids in shooting, killing a man in self-defense in McMinnville. It's never easy for victims of violence to stand up to those who are trying to hurt and kill them. Uh, District Attorney General uh, Chris Stanford praising this armed citizen on uh, Monday of this week. Stanford said just before noon, the uh, Warren County Sheriff's Department and McMinnville City Police Department responded to a shooting in the town of McMinnville, law enforcement determined that 38-year-old Maurice Malone had been shot in the chest and uh, died due to the gunshot wound. Through their investigation, law enforcement learned that the woman who shot him had a, quote, honest and reasonable belief uh, that the then occurring and previous actions and threats and behavior of Malone posed an imminent threat to the woman and her minor children. Now, WSMV in uh, Tennessee has named this woman. I I'm not going to. She was the victim of a violent crime. Uh, authorities have said she was acting in, not only in self-defense, but in defense of her children as well. So I, I don't see the name, the, the, the reason or the need to uh, publicly name this crime victim, but it's out there. 
the DA already determined that the shooting death of Maurice Malone justified as self-defense and defense to third parties. Stanford said in a press release, uh, quote, as a result of the clear case of self-defense and defense of a third party present here, no charges will be brought against the woman in connection with the shooting death described herein. He said, I also want to commend her for her bravery as she acted under extreme pressure, yet decided to protect herself and children from the imminent threat of serious bodily injury or death that she was imminently facing. It is never easy for victims of violence to stand up to those who are trying to hurt and kill them. However, her bravery last night likely saved her life and the lives of her children, and she is commended for her coverage or for uh, her courage. Uh, the DA also asked the public to respect the victim's privacy, saying, "Quote: It is never easy to take a life, even in the instance of a justified killing such as this one." So again, we don't know all of these circumstances of this shooting, but um, it appears as if uh, this woman um, was in an abusive relationship. Uh, was being abused. There were threats not only to herself, but to her kids as well. And again, uh, she shot her attacker and abuser in self-defense. We'll see if we can uh, find out more information about this story. But, uh, you know, not only kudos to her for protecting herself and her family, but honestly, kudos to the DA for commending this woman's actions. Uh, you know, I, if, if, if you follow self-defense stories or armed citizen stories, you've probably, like me, lost track of how many times we see a justified homicide or a defensive gun use. And, you know, the police chief, I'm, I'm thinking back to the former police chief in Oakland, uh, who a couple of years ago said, we, we, uh, we don't need armed citizens, we need good witnesses. After a uh, good Samaritan stepped in and uh, stopped a robbery from taking place in uh, Oakland. And we see variations of that all the time, right? Even though in this particular case, uh, you know, the circumstances uh, ended well, we, we don't encourage anybody to, uh, you know, uh, uh, fight back. Just, you know, cooperate with your robber, cooperate with your home invader, uh, give them what they want, and they'll let you go. I don't know how many times we've heard that. Um, and I don't, I don't believe it to be true. I don't believe it to be the case. So I am uh, very pleased to see the DA here actually acknowledge the, uh, the courage and the strength and the right of this woman to protect herself and her family from harm. Finally today, our uh, good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing to do the right thing, Houston guy named Gary Landry uh, ran across this story earlier today. Good Samaritan buys suits for graduating high school seniors. Gary Landry helps graduating seniors whose parents can't afford to buy them suits on graduation day. Uh, Landry, as well as uh, three of the high school graduates who uh, he's helping, recently appeared on uh, Great Day Houston to talk about this. This is uh, Mr. Landry on the left. He says he was inspired to do this. He was out at a grocery at a, at a uh, department store, and uh, he overheard a mom talking to her child. They're looking for suits, and she said, "Whatever it takes, I'm going to make sure that you get this." And he thought to himself, "You know, there are probably a lot of families who." just don't have the resources financially to buy their kids a suit. He believes that, you know, you, you dress for the occasion, you dress for success. Um, as somebody who doesn't own a necktie anymore, I I won't say I completely disagree, but yeah, I think it's a great thing that uh, Gary Landry is doing this. And uh, I think it's, it's remarkable, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and he's been doing this, by the way, very quietly. 
Um, I watched the interview with him on uh, Good Day Houston, and the only reason that the TV station found out about it is um, they stopped him uh, during their coverage of the Final Four and wanted him to do, you know, like some stupid trivia. And he said, sure, I will, but you got to listen to me after I'm done because I want to tell you what I'm doing here. Um, and so good for him for the uh, for the uh, the outreach to, uh, to television paid off. Uh, you know, he got on TV. Hopefully he's going to get some additional donations. Um, the program is called Future Starts Now. And again, it's not, you know, th- this is not something that is going to be front page news or, or, or even lead the nightly news. I think this is probably, you know, a uh, human interest segment on a uh, local morning show in Houston, Texas. But these simple acts of kindness on the part of Gary Landry have the opportunity for a, a, a really big impact on the kids that he's trying to help. Um, as for uh, those three individuals who were with him at Great Day Houston, all of them uh, are on their way to college with uh, scholarships, I believe. Yeah, full scholarships to their universities. Uh, Tyran Kennedy going to uh, University of Texas. Uh, DeAndre Rogers going to Texas A&M. And uh, Marcus Whaley attending the University of North Texas. Uh, not because of Gary Landry, because of their hard work, but at least now they get to uh, graduate in style. Thanks to Gary Landry being in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing for those uh, who need a little help. So, uh, Gary Landry, we thank you for your very, very good deed. All right, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Marion Arms Cam and Company. I do want to remind you, we will be talking with uh, BioFire founder Kai Klepfer this afternoon. You'll see that interview uh, on tomorrow's Cam and Company. We're going to talk with uh, Kai not only about the development of BioFire. Uh, but I'm more interested in, frankly, the outreach that uh, Clifford has been doing with gun owners, the pushback that he has been giving to things like New Jersey's smart gun mandate, California's Unsafe Handgun Act. Um, but again, I've got some questions uh, for uh, Kai about what else uh, the company might be weighing in on in terms of gun control measures, because I think it's great that uh, the company has taken those steps, but... The company also benefits from taking those steps. Uh, Kai Kleffer has said, listen, we don't want this mandate in New Jersey. We don't want to be a part of this mandate, um, not only because we are trying to, you know, we don't believe in mandates, but also uh, not good for our company. Same with the Unsafe Handgun Act. Uh, BioFire, technically not available for sale in California because it doesn't meet the uh, requirements under the Unsafe Handgun Act. So there are there are good business reasons for BioFire to be making these uh, stances as well. Um, I want to get into the politics of this. And uh, you'll see and hear that interview again coming up on tomorrow's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do appreciate Takai Clifford joining us on the show and reaching out. This is not going to be a screaming match. This is not going to be full of gotcha questions. That's not my intention. But I do want to have a a real discussion and a conversation uh, about the company and where it stands in the uh, gun control debate. So you'll see that again on tomorrow's Cam and Company. In the meantime, don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day. We've got a lot of stuff going on in terms of our right to keep and bear arms. We're going to keep you covered all the way. And if you like what you see, I'd always encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As I was saying, thanks for showing your support for what we do. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. New stories and analysis that matter because your support matters. And again, we thank you very much 
Enjoy the rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.